मोटमाद पॉडकास्ट Trigger warning. The following episode contains descriptions of sexual assault and harassment and may not be suitable for everyone. Listener discretion is advised. From Motormouth Podcasts, I am Prateek Sharma and this is the new manifesto. Joining me is my co-host Ashwin Chandrasekhar. This is the show where two men talk about masculinity. its negatives and its positives and this week its masculinity and sexual harassment at workplaces sexual harassment at workplaces it's a grave concern places that are meant to make us feel safe and secure sometimes become the breeding ground of harassing and discriminatory behavior more often than not This behavior comes from a position of power and the victims who have faced harassment often find themselves in a weaker position to take any action. We have heard the phrase sexual harassment a number of times in our lives. Sometimes we have witnessed it, sometimes we have enabled it, and a lot of times we have not stood up against it. What does sexual harassment mean? What all comes under sexual harassment? um ashwin could you please explain in detail what this means and what posh means prateek sexual harassment goes beyond physical assault and also includes demand for sexual favors suggestive visuals remarks of a sexual kind and much more posh comes from the 2013 act on prevention of sexual harassment under which organizations with more than 10 employees are required to have an internal complaints committee this committee receives sexual harassment complaints inquires into them and suggests how an employer ought to proceed with the complaint at least a third of all companies in india are non compliant with the posh act a survey of the female workers in maharashtra suggested that at least a third of them were sexually harassed another survey suggested that at least 80% of all women workers in india do not report sexual harassment especially because they fear backlash To explore this a little more, we spoke to an expert, Asia Sherwani. Asia is an advisor and a consultant. She works on diversity and inclusion, organizational values and vision, and leadership development. This is pretty intensive work, which, if designed and executed well, enhances accountability, engagement, and improves productivity of the organization, and it improves teamwork and social emotional intelligence as well. Asia primarily works with three categories of organizations. The first is corporates, MNCs, family-owned companies, IT and IT-enabled organizations. The second category is non-profits, social sector organizations, educational institutions, professional colleges, and the third category is guilds, collectives, unions, film festivals, art galleries, drama societies, and so on. In addition to all of this, Asia is also an external member on several posh committees where they have to investigate sexual or gender harassment related cases. And she has a pretty strong point of view on what workplace sexual harassment means. She says that sexual harassment at workplace can be seen as a part of organizational ethics. So sexual harassment is not a glitch in communication. Uh, it's not like it's it's a result of some ignorance or disagreement or cultural differences or male perspective versus female perspective. It's an ethical problem. 
problems need solutions. And to solve the problem of workplace sexual harassment, it requires intention and action. It's not going to go away on its own. So you have to look at very coordinated and customized support that has to be given to these organizations in the form of policies, practices, procedures. Having said that, this problem is rampant. The problem is far from being solved and this problem is everywhere, including the so-called white-collared spaces. And Asia has a rather unique way of referring to these white-collared spaces. Masculinity embodied by upwardly mobile men in tier 1, tier 2 cities, often English-speaking, you know, so I think... Uh, <laughs> should be, there should be an acronym for that so we can... <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you can create that acronym. <laughs> Women sometimes don't have the right vocabulary to describe sexual harassment at the workplace. This came to Asya's attention in a focus group discussion that Asya once conducted with 50-odd women. A lot of them said what they identified as undignified behaviour or incivil behaviour. This came up as a huge concern. Undignified and incivil behaviour. Now, a lot of us, especially men, are so used to witnessing these small behaviours so often that we don't recognise them as problematic or incorrect. For us men, this behaviour of our fellow men is so common that we have accepted it as playful banter or harmless jokes. And that is definitely something we, as men, need to introspect on and fix. And if you're wondering what kind of behaviours these might be, listen to this. So these are these snide, snarky remarks, rude interruptions, uncomfortable jokes. To get some first-hand accounts, we reached out to some women who recounted exactly what kind of behaviours they faced from male colleagues at their workplaces that made them feel uncomfortable and harassed. As a word of caution, the next part of the episode might be triggering for some people. If you feel it may make you uncomfortable or take you to a dark place, I highly recommend skipping about 40 seconds from when it starts playing. Please approach with utmost caution. Needless to say, to protect the women who shared their experiences, we are not revealing their identities. Here's what they had to say in 3, 2, 1. He touched me inappropriately. He would keep staring at me and his gaze made me very uncomfortable. He would crack jokes. Double meaning jokes. Sexual jokes. He used to send me messages on WhatsApp late in the night. He would keep asking me these very uncomfortable questions about my personal life. He would uh, come up behind me and start massaging my shoulders. He kept forcing me to have a drink at office parties. He would make me wait in office till late, alone. He would comment on my body and my weight. He would comment on my clothes. In addition to these behaviours, there are some notions that men have about women and women face some less obvious and low-intensity incivilities quite regularly at the workplace. The questioning ability of women to do a job, that women are not good at programming or at animation or at math or whatever, whatever. Assuming that a woman's boundaries are negotiable. I remember this woman telling me that I kept telling my male colleague, don't keep touching me while talking, it's irritating me. This is a funny bro culture of I will touch you more if just because you find it irritating, I'm going to do more of it. I'm going to do more of it to irritate women. 
branding women as troublemakers, undermining a woman's authority or contribution, taking what men say more seriously. So these are the less obvious, low intensity uh, incivilities. They can be overlooked, you know, but they they add up and they create a negative environment. And in Asya's view, there is a specific type of woman who experiences this. Uh, women who can articulate, women who can, uh, you know, lead, who are intelligent, who are creative, who are confident. These behaviors, which are seen in all sorts of offices, are low intensity, as Asya mentioned. Then there's a more intense and more visible form of toxic behavior dominating, dictatorial kind of management style where people may induce fear. And interestingly, not only fear, also gratitude. So think Harvey Weinstein, right? It is said that he was thanked more often than God. Often publicly in uh, Oscar and Emmy speeches as well. There's a video compilation of the number of times Harvey Weinstein has been called God, literally. Yeah, I remember making a note of that too. So he's thanked uh, almost as many times as God is thanked. So it's this image of a benevolent dictator. Harvey, thank you for killing whoever you had to kill to get me up here today. Um, and to Harvey Weinstein, the, uh, the tough guy on the playground with the biggest heart. Thank you for saying you do anything for your friends, and you always do. Thank you. And then Harvey Weinstein. And Harvey Weinstein. Harvey and Bob Weinstein. Everyone. Thank you, Harvey Weinstein. I want to thank Harvey and Bob Weinstein. My agent, Kevin Uvain, and God, Harvey Weinstein. If you noticed, this kind of behavior usually has a certain direction. It usually flows from a senior man in a powerful position to a woman who is comparatively less powerful. And that's because... Some of these senior men, these departmental heads, tend to think they are above the law. Not all, but many of them blatantly sexually harassed, you know. So it'll be inappropriate, affectionate gestures, unsolicited physical contact, overt request for dates, sexual favors. Inquiring about sex life. Tu kitni baar karti hai? Tu virgin hai ke nahi? Lagti to nahi hai? Actually, explicit WhatsApp messages, images of genitals. And if you remember, the women you heard a little while ago also recounted similar traumatic experiences. On the other side of the break, we'll talk about some trends in the reporting of such cases that Asia has observed over the years. Welcome back. We've seen how men in powerful positions abuse their chair and end up sexually harassing less powerful women. Has there been a change in this trend over time? Has it become more rampant? Asya says, Sexual harassment has always been there. The older women say that we had different battles to fight. Some of them were about, you know, allowing us to work. But the form that it has assumed is obviously more up-to-date. It is in alignment with, you know, recent trends and technology. Talking about technology, Asia has had an up-close and personal interaction with the technology that has enabled this rampant behaviour. 
I spent most of my last three years looking at sexually explicit WhatsApp messages as evidence submitted to me. So yes, a lot of it is happening through you know late evening, late night WhatsApp chat. Asya says that organizations are ignoring day-to-day incivilities because they feel unless it's a legal violation, it's not important enough. Without realizing that incivility is very expensive, another thing that's hugely ignored is the management's own accountability. It is their responsibility to ensure that there is no workplace sexual harassment. There is another aspect of protecting people from your own group. Asya explains this through an example. Recently, there's the CEO who was trying to protect his childhood buddy, who was also a departmental head, uh, and um, a young woman had complained against him. And the CEO says, no, I think she's trying to trap him. You know, she's joined from another organization. And so she's trying to do those same things, like sleeping with bosses. So I said, okay, I mean, even if I believe you that this is true, what the hell did you do to dispel these ideas? Did you do anything to tell her during induction that this is something that is not acceptable in our organization? So it's not about what others are bringing in. It's about what you are actively doing to dispel or dismiss. While such negative trends prevail, there's been some positive changes too. More people are calling out harassers. There's a debate and awareness around consent and organizations are implementing stricter rules. But there's also a backlash. People are saying they don't want to hire women. They're saying things like men are scared of women. Whatever little that we've dealt with has created its own problem. What can organizations do to change this status quo? And what has been the impact of the Me Too movement on reporting of workplace sexual harassment? Coming up after the break. Many organizations have started conducting workshops on unconscious bias and gender sensitivity. And while people do have differing opinions about those, there's at least a dialogue that has started. What other kind of processes can organizations introduce to ensure a better and safe working environment? The second thing that would work would be enhancing the current training to cover the rights of victims, to talk to bystanders about what are their rights, how they should not be silent. Also talk to harassers. This is something we don't do in the posh training. We need to tell them, we know how you operate. We know how you retaliate. We know your game plan. Now, to look at the other side here and address some concerns that some men have. A lot of men who are not perpetrators of violence are quite sceptical of Bosch. Concerns and questions around false reporting of cases and the rights of men are also brought up in Bosch conversations at work. And these concerns may be valid too for some men. The way to dispel these concerns is to create a healthy and open work environment. And to attain that, Asia suggests that organizations need to educate their employees, both men and women, on a few things. Communication, relationship, consent, you know, new rules of engagement, creating a code of ethics. And while it's great that there is more awareness and conversation around sexual harassment at workplaces now, still, not enough cases get reported. 
under reporting of workplace sexual harassment is an issue which we all should be hugely worried about under reporting of cases happens mainly in two ways one when the victims themselves do not file complaints for various reasons and two when organizations themselves claim that there are no incidents of sexual harassment at their offices so there's this company i supported they were presenting that zero sexual harassment complaints i had to sort of break their bubble and say sorry uh, zero complaints does not mean that there is no sexual harassment in your organization what it actually means is that you and your posh committee is not trusted or maybe they are just apathetic and there's this sense of hopelessness ke yahan to kuch hone wala hi nahi hai to complain karne ka fayda hi nahi hai or there is normalization of sexual harassment and therefore nobody is complaining think about why this committee is not being used otherwise your work your organization and you personally will always remain mediocre at best since the time the me too movement started we've seen a lot of women openly talking about harassment they've faced but does that also mean that the number of reported cases at workplaces has gone up asia says it's not so but it has translated to more people speaking up on social media and seeking support from other women and male allies so yes uh, things are coming out so it's time to ask an important question how can posh committees themselves be made better they need to be trained better they need to be empowered a posh committee is an alternative mechanism for justice they have been created because the formal hierarchical legal systems have largely been unresponsive to the specificity of women's experience of workplace sexual harassment and we as men in our skepticism of posh forget this very important fact this alternate mechanism was created because our day to day jokes or banter or worse harassment creates a negative environment for women at the workplace numbers say less than 25% of all women work in india and for the one in four who do we as men have often not been kind colleagues or bosses the posh committee is meant to function differently intention or motive is not important it is the impact on the recipient which is important if you have untrustworthy people there if you have unapproachable people there you are not going to get complaints taking every complaint seriously believing the complainant by having simpler processes by being approachable by creating updated rules by which the investigation will be governed the head of the organization has to understand that in matters pertaining to sexual harassment the posh committee is above him or her they will make the final decisions about the verdict and the disciplinary action a lot depends on on the leader here coming up after the break we discuss what enlightened leaders can do and we make some entries in the new manifesto so far we have seen how some women find it difficult to approach posh committees lack of a good structure lack of trust fear of what will happen to the man and other forms of insecurities there's another big reason why women do not report sexual harassment at the workplace the fear of retaliation 
some of these seasoned, older harassers, they're kind of good at their job. They also have a fan following. Sometimes they're very charming. There's a case Asya handled, which explains this. This guy would keep complimenting this young girl. And she said, I love those compliments from guys my age. But here's this 45-year-old and I'm 23 years old. I definitely find it very scary when this guy flirts with me. And she kind of complained. This guy turned vicious. She was no longer the object of his desire, but the object of his hate. There was this whole thing of performance issues around her, that this woman is crazy, she goes for counselling, ye to pagal hai. And he started talking about, she is the one who's chasing me. She wants me. Given that masculinity can take such a toxic form, it's quite clear why women would feel scared of reporting such incidents. But the good news is, there's a legal provision that protects women against retaliation too. Under the 2013 Posh Act, Retaliation against someone who complains is also in itself a form of sexual harassment. And that is something which all of us, bystanders, management, everybody needs to understand how the process of retaliation happens. What is the game that is played with not only the victim, but with all of us. And this is the cycle we, as men, need to break. The responsibility lies with us. We need to stand by our fellow female colleagues and have their back against men in power. Studies have shown that at least 50% of complainants leave their job because of the retaliation they face. Essentially, the victim and survivor of harassment is being penalised. And that is not okay. The role of an enlightened leader is extremely crucial here. An enlightened leader can make all the difference. Change does not just happen. It has to be orchestrated. One of the leaders I'm currently coaching is working on introducing value-based leadership within his organization. This guy has the courage to be very vulnerable. He admitted to me that he himself has been a contributor to bro culture. They need to understand that it is everyday sexism of the very casual, seemingly harmless type that forms the bedrock for more severe kind of harassment. And it is their duty to address these violations, which the law does not address. Adding to this, Asia also shared names of some organizations that she feels are moving in the right direction. Men Against Violence and Abuse. Some Abhav, the film festivals, they travel from college to college and create spaces. Young people engage on topics like gender, misogyny, patriarchy, masculinity. IKEA, the Scandinavian retail chain, they contacted me four years ago, much before they opened their store in Hyderabad. But they were already committed to recruiting 50% women. They were willing to invest in making the work environment safe and welcoming and nurturing for women. I love the terms that they use. We want to make it nurturing for women. They're progressive. They have a non-judgmental outlook. The complainant and the respondent both are treated with dignity throughout uh, the investigation process. So the harasser here is held accountable for his actions, but he's also supported, counseled, assimilated back into work uh, if he shows remorse and readiness to make amends. 
And finally, how can men ensure that they are better friends, better allies, better facilitators? Engage with posh committees. When men are calling a woman who takes charge bossy, when men are using words like hysterical and menopausal, correct them. Say that, no, no, you know, that that's not right. She's not hysterical. You know, I think you are more hysterical. Male allies can at least make that start of understanding retaliation. All right. It's time to make some entries in the new manifesto. A handbook of sorts that we are building through our learnings on the show. Number one, be a dissuader of bro culture. As the author of the book, Good Guys says, use the ouch technique. Anytime a man makes a sexist comment in front of you to buy a few extra seconds and then have some ready statements ready. Often, sexist comments lead to paralysis and the moment is just ignored. Instead, say ouch, which buys you time to get your bearing and use some ready responses such as Did you really mean that? Or Actually, that's an outdated stereotype. Number 2. Be a boss ally Invariably, men are likely to be in positions of power in more numbers just given how far we have to go for gender equality at the top of corporate leadership. However, we can play our part. Some examples the previously cited authors mentioned include You know, we were so smart to hire you. Or, that was terrific what you said in the meeting. Women often get signals that they do not belong in an organization and we can do a lot as male bosses to counteract this trend. This will also make them more comfortable using firm resources, like an internal complaints committee, for more egregious violations of their being. And with that thought, it's time to end today's episode. We sincerely hope our conversation today with Asia helped you as much as it helped us in our journey of becoming better allies at work and beyond. This episode was hosted, written, produced and mixed by me, Pratik Sharma, co-produced and co-hosted by Ashwin Chandrasekhar, executive producers Ashwin and Pratik for Motormouth Podcasts. Music credits are in the episode notes. You can listen to our episodes on motormouthpodcasts.com slash the new manifesto and on all major podcast platforms. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter at motormouthpods. If you like the show, please consider subscribing. If you would like to suggest a topic for us to cover in the show, please reach out to us. We'll be back in another episode very soon. Thank you for listening to this episode of The New Manifesto from Motormouth Podcasts. Motormouth Podcasts.